Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. The children of Israel were slaves in Egypt. When they were there, they were slaves, they were servants of the Egyptians, more specifically of the Pharaoh. And as slaves, their role, their purpose in the lives of the Egyptians was to perform work for the Egyptians. They may have been paid for their work. We don't know what their compensation may have been, or they may have received no compensation for their work. It may have looked like a tax in that context. But regardless of what it looked like, regardless of the transactions that occurred between the children of Israel and the Egyptians, one thing we do know is that they were slaves. And as a slave, that means that in general, what that means is that your work, your labor is something that you do, that you give to someone else without adequate compensation. If there is some compensation, it may not be adequate. It may not be appropriate, an appropriate reflection of what your labor truly is worth. And in addition to that, you would be forced to do so. You would not have a choice. You could not just decide that you were not going to perform that work. But in this case, they would be forced to do the work that they were doing. And then the Lord sent Moses. The Lord sent Moses from the wilderness. He sent Moses to them to set them free. Moses went to the Pharaoh and demanded that the Pharaoh let them go, let them be free. And he didn't make these demands in the sense of let them be free in your own country. He said let them be free in the sense that they would be free to leave that country, to depart, to go and find a new life for themselves somewhere else, that they would be allowed to do that without the threat of death or punishment. Moses was sent by God in order to set the people free. And when he went to Pharaoh, he presented this demand from the Lord in the context of obedience and service. That the Lord had sent Moses to retrieve the children of Israel to get them out of Egypt so that they could be obedient to their God, so that they could serve their God, so that they could worship their God in the way that their God wanted them to serve him. That was how this message was presented to Pharaoh, that their freedom was going to be an opportunity for the children of Israel to be able to live a life of obedience to their God. But of course, in addition to that, being set free from the slavery, from the servitude in Egypt, they would then be able to work for themselves. They could choose how much work they wanted to perform. They could decide if they wanted to receive a certain amount of compensation for their labor or not, that they would have the ability to choose for themselves what they would receive for their labor, and subsequently they could choose if they wanted to labor at all. If they didn't want to, then there would be no threat of punishment for their failure to do so. They would have the ability to be free. That was what Moses was promising the Israelites when he brought his demand to Pharaoh. 
Eventually the children of Israel were set free. Certainly through the plagues that our God levied against the Egyptians, they eventually decided that the Israelites could go without a fight. There was a little bit of a struggle there at the Red Sea, but eventually they did go into the region that Moses was pulling them into, which was the region of Arabia, where Mount Sinai is. And when they were there, they met their God. They worshipped him as he demanded, they served him as he declared, and they received the law that he presented to them, a law that would define them as a people a law that they would live by, a set of laws, of course, but collectively as the law of Moses. This was the law that would define them as a people, how they would relate to each other and how they would worship their God. An important part of the law that was presented through Moses was the specific laws relating to the tabernacle, that the tabernacle was given by God so that the people would have an opportunity to serve their God in the way that God demanded that they serve him. That was what the tabernacle was about. It was about an opportunity for them to serve their God. And so they were set free from the slavery of Egypt. They were set free from their life of working for nothing, relatively speaking, so that they could engage in a relationship with their God that was about them serving their God. So instead of serving the Egyptians, they would now live in service of their God. But of course, the demands of God were very different. They certainly were not very high in comparison with what the Egyptians were expecting of the children of Israel. And so this service was certainly much more attractive in that sense, in the context of expense or how much labor they would need to go through in order to satisfy the requirements that the Lord presented to them. And then once he gave them the law and the tabernacle was constructed, then he gave them the promised land, or he presented the promised land to the children of Israel. Now, of course, the children of Israel did not enter into the promised land with Moses. At this time, after they had received the law, the children of Israel were confronted with entering into the promised land, and they chose not to enter into the promised land. And so as a result, they ended up wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation died off, and then the next generation decided to enter into the promised land. But this first generation, they refused to enter in, and the reason why they did not enter in was because they did not believe, they chose not to believe their God when he said that he gave that land to them. And when he said that he gave this land to them, he described it With a unique word, he described it as an inheritance. It was something that he was giving to them. He was giving this land to them without any cost. That was how he described the giving of the promised land, the land of Israel, to the children of Israel. But again, they refused to enter in because they did not believe their God. They failed to enter into this land because of their unbelief. Now, this certainly wasn't Moses' fault. Moses told the truth to the children of Israel. It was the children of Israel who refused to believe what Moses declared to them. And so Moses was faithful. He was faithful to the living God. He was faithful to the Lord when the Lord told him to go to Egypt to retrieve the children of Israel. He obeyed his God. He did exactly what his God told him to do. That was something that he did. He believed his God and he responded according to the truth that the Lord had revealed to him. And because of that, his faith in the Lord was clear to all who would question it. 
Moses was faithful in bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt, brought them to Mount Sinai, and he was faithful in giving them the law. He gave them the law that would define their entire society, the religious aspects of their society, the social aspects of their society, how they would relate to each other, how they would resolve conflicts. That was given through Moses, and he was faithful to what the Lord had given them. And he was also faithful in the presentation of the promised land. And even though the children of Israel refused to enter into the promised land, he was still faithful in making the offer to them, where they would be able to go in and drink from wells that they did not dig, and they would eat from vineyards that they did not plant, that they would truly receive all that they would need for life and godliness from their God in the context of how they would build a society so that everyone could experience the maximum freedom that they possibly could to the extent that they would all still be able to live in peace with one another. And this history is relatively well understood within most of our circles of influence in Christianity today. In fact, it's referred to as a model for our lives in Christ Jesus quite often. In general, we talk about salvation as being set free from the slavery of the world so that you can be free to obey and serve your God. We often present the gospel in that sense. We present the Lord in that sense, where we try to draw people to the Lord by appealing to them on the basis of being set free from slavery to their sin, so that they can live a life of service for their God. And we have various temples or tabernacles or church buildings, whatever you want to call them, that are built for the purpose, in many cases, these places are built so that people can assemble together and have opportunities to serve their God in various ways, in various capacities. And the promise that is then given is that you will be blessed if you do this, just as the children of Israel would have been blessed if they did live in obedience to their God. They would have been blessed with the promised land, Well, we're not going to be blessed with the promised land, but the Lord will find ways to intervene in our lives and he will make us prosperous. He will allow us to be blessed through intervening if necessary in order to give us more opportunities to work more or to earn more for the work that we do provide, things like that. That's generally the model that many people use in order to try to draw people into their church, into Christianity, by using the example of Moses and the children of Israel. But I believe that there is something else that our God has called us to. I believe that the example of Moses is not a very good example to use in order to attract people, because when you look at the promises that were given through Moses and the blessings that were offered through the law, you look at these things very closely, you will find that they all have to do with the issues concerning the flesh. When the children of Israel were pulled out of Egypt, they were set free from their slavery in Egypt. They were set free from a life of working for nothing. They were set free so that they could enter into a life so that they could work for something. But what were they going to work for? What were they going to attain? What were they going to achieve? What were they going to get through their labor and through their obedience to the law of God? Well, our God explained precisely what we would receive if we did 
go into the promised land, and we did live a life of obedience and repentance. We were obedient to his commandments. He said exactly what we would get. He said that we would get more flour in our kneading bowl, that we would lend and we would not borrow, that we would overcome our enemies in war. He gives a whole list of things that we would be able to achieve. And if you were to look at the curses for failing to live in obedience to his commandments, we could take those and consider those in reverse. For example, he said that mildew and mold would overtake us and our children would be consumed by wild animals if we failed to live in obedience to his commandments. And so likewise, if we do live in obedience to his commandments, then our children will not be consumed by wild animals and mildew and mold will not overtake us. But when you look at all of these blessings, when you look at all of these promises that our God gave to us, not one of them said anything about us actually knowing him. In other words, we would have no opportunity to know our God. And this is critical. This is vital to see that the children of Israel were taken out of Egypt and brought into the land that we know as the land of Israel, the promised land. And after all that the Lord did for them, and after all that they would try to do for him, after all of that, and throughout the next several hundred years, they would continually attempt to try and try and try, and then they would fail, and they would try and try and fail and fail and fail and try. After all of that, there was still never any promise or never any opportunity for them to actually know their God. They could certainly know about him. They could know about the things that he would do in their lives. They could know him in that sense. They could know some facts about him, but they would not really know him as a person. They would not know his love for them. They would not know his acceptance for them. They would have very little understanding with regards to how he sees this world that he has created how he sees it through his eyes. They would not see the world as he sees the world, or the people in it as he sees them. They would not really know their God. And so in general, when we take this same model and try to apply it to the church, it's very easy for us to see many people coming to the Lord Jesus. However, after a period of time, we should not be surprised to discover that they don't know the Lord any more than when they first got saved just as the Israelites did not know the Lord any more than they did when they were first set free from their slavery in Egypt. Even after many hundreds of years, they still did not really know the Lord. And yet in spite of this, the Lord still continued to reach out to them. And one of the ways that he reached out to them was through the promise of a Messiah, that one day there would be a Messiah. Now the assumption that the people had about this Messiah was not exactly how the Lord was presenting this Messiah. They were assuming that eventually the Messiah would set them free from the burdens of always being thrown into slavery because of their disobedience, that he would eventually set them free to the extent where they would never be slaves ever again, and they would be able to live their lives a life of freedom to not only benefit from their own work, that they could keep what they earn and they would also be able to worship their God without any restraint or any restriction. And so when the people thought of a Messiah, that's what they were thinking of. They were thinking of a Messiah who would bless their flesh. That's what they were thinking, because that would be consistent with the promises and the blessings of the law that was given through Moses. 
that the Lord would bless their flesh if they did live a life of repentance and obedience. But what we found was that that was not the kind of Messiah that the Lord was going to provide. It was a false assumption. There were many assumptions that just simply were not true. The Lord Jesus came and he did not provide them with the kind of Messiah that they thought he should be. He did not do that. Instead, he did something very different. He dealt with the slavery of sin. That's what he dealt with. The people had forgotten at this point, at the time that Jesus arrived, they'd relatively forgotten the seriousness of sin. They had made an assumption that they had found a way to live in obedience to all of the commandments, and so there was no sin that was an issue between them and their God. But that's what the Lord Jesus came to do. He came to set people free from their sin. And even though the people had no idea, had no understanding of the depth of the sin that they had and that they struggled with, that didn't stop the Lord from dealing with it himself. So that's what he came to do. He came to set the people free, but not so that they could go out and indulge their flesh with more food to eat and with more water to drink and more vineyards to harvest from. That's not what he came to do. He came to set them free from the burdens of their sin. He did that by, of course, dying for all of our sins, by effectively forgiving us of all of our sins, by taking all of our sins away. And through doing that, he took away the law as well, because without any punishment for sins, there is no law. There is no law that can be used in our lives at all anymore. And so when the Lord Jesus came to set people free, he came to set people free. He certainly did. Now, if you think about this for a moment, the Lord our God set the children of Israel free from the slavery of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. But when he gave them the law through Moses, he also enslaved them in another way. They did have the laws of the pharaohs. They did have the laws of Egypt. But now... They are going to live in obedience to the laws of God, which they can't. And so through their sin to God, they now have another form of slavery, another form of servitude. It's not the same as what they experienced in Egypt. It's another kind of servitude that has to do with the condition of the people's hearts, not the condition of their flesh. The Lord Jesus set us free from that. And instead of building another tabernacle... Instead of building another temple to represent the absence of these laws and to represent the taking away of the Old Covenant or effectively the fulfilling of the Old Covenant, instead of erecting a new temple or a new tabernacle through which people could serve the living God, the Lord Jesus presented something very different to us. And that was that he was going to indwell within us not try to find some way to get us to dwell within his temple. This is definitely unique from what the Lord did through Moses and is a challenging shift for many people. It's a challenging shift for many people in Christianity today to believe and to consider that the buildings that we construct or that we purchase or that we house ourselves in, it's hard for people to believe that that really isn't the house of God that that really isn't the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you'll notice this every once in a while, because you'll hear somebody say up in front of everybody something that sounds like this. Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord this morning or this evening? 
Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord today? And I have gone to people like that, and I've confronted them over this statement. I have confronted many people many times over this, and I've asked them, do you understand that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And they say to me, oh, yes, yes, I understand that. This is just a nice thing to say in order to acknowledge the presence of God and things like that. But you know what? I find that they don't really have a lot of conviction with regards to you being the temple of the Holy Spirit if you are saved. They really don't have much conviction with regards to that. And in addition to that, I also find that not only do they not take that very seriously, but they don't take much of anything else very seriously either. And their whole lives of service as a pastor, preacher, whatever you want to call them, their whole lives of service has to do with just simply saying things that make people feel good and really are not said on the basis of what is true or what is not true at all. Just whatever will sound good in order to make people feel good and contribute to the work that they are doing and to encourage them to return so that they can feel good once again. There are different reasons why people are involved in things like that, but what was definitely unique about the Lord Jesus is that he came to explain to us, to demonstrate to us, to show us, to make it very clear that we are the house of God, that there is no longer a tabernacle, there is no longer a temple, as we saw that there was one in the nation of Israel, that that is gone, that is over. It has been over and gone for a long time. It is only us who in many cases esteem ourselves to be the people of God who try to resurrect something that he killed, that is dead. And out of our great efforts, we certainly can build many wonderful tabernacles, but you will find that they will be just as empty as any temple or tabernacle for any god, because our God dwells within his people, not within the buildings that we build. And so with you being the tabernacle or you being the temple of the Holy Spirit, the relationship that exists between you and your God is very different. Before, the children of Israel, as they were instructed by Moses, would go to the temple, they would go to the tabernacle of God to serve their God. But now your God has come to you, and his relationship with you is not on the basis of you serving him. He has no need for you to serve him. His relationship with you is on the basis of him serving you. That is a different relationship and is an experience that no one can experience outside of their relationship through Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul spoke of this when he spoke to the people in Athens when he was at the Areopagus and he talked to them and he said very clearly that our God is not a God who is served with human hands, and he has no need for anyone to serve him because he has all things. Instead, this is a God who lives to serve us, who has given us an inheritance out of the abundance of what he has. And this inheritance that we now receive in Christ Jesus is not an inheritance of the flesh. It is an inheritance of the spirit. It is the giving, not of a land that has wells that we can drink from that we did not dig, or vineyards that we can eat from that we did not plant. This is a God who has given us himself. He has given his spirit, his being, to us, to indwell within us, and he has described that as an inheritance. And so through Moses, the people were given freedom from the slavery of working for nothing. And they were given the law 
so that they could have the freedom to live a life of obedience to God. And they were given the promised land so that they could indulge their flesh. But through the Lord Jesus, we have been given freedom from the slavery of sin. And we have been given the freedom of working for nothing. And what I mean by that is working to try to get all of the sin out of your life, or trying to be right with God, or trying to be pleasing to God. We have been set free from the slavery of doing all of that for nothing, because it will never achieve anything. And the Lord Jesus has made you into a temple. And collectively, we as the body of Christ are the temple of the Holy Spirit, a temple of living stones, not dead stones that the temple in Israel was constructed with, but living stones of living people who actually believe their God and trust their God. And the inheritance that is given to us through the Lord Jesus is an inheritance of our God himself, who gives himself to us. And with him within us, we then have an abundance of what we truly need in order to engage the world that we are confronted with, that is presented to us. And so Moses was certainly great. Moses was faithful in the house of God. But Jesus is greater than Moses. And that's the point of the writer of the letter to the Hebrews, is that Jesus is greater than Moses. Not just greater than the angels, but he is also greater than Moses. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. And so as Moses was a servant, Jesus was a son. In comparison with what Moses did, Jesus is much greater. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you.